Welcome to another episode of the LeafCast. Takes by Leaf for Leaf. Yo, I appreciate you tuning in. You could be doing anything with your time right now, but yet you choose to listen to me and I rock with you. So as, you know, unless you've been under a rock or smoking, you know, a lot of um, very good drugs, you probably know by now that uh, Joe Biden is the president-elect. So there's a lot more to this story, um, as always, because it involves Donald Trump. There's always some bullshit. Um, Donald Trump has not, as of right now, conceded the election. In his mind, he thinks he, not only does he think he legitimately won, he's, uh, you know, going to sue over it. So there's going to be multiple lawsuits and we'll see where that goes. So we'll focus on that during another podcast. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about or lead with for today's show and is the firing of Defense Secretary Esper. Why is that, you know, something that I would lead with? Because it suggests kind of two things. One, it's on. And two, it's really on. So what does that mean? What does that slang mean? What does that vernacular mean? And why are we talking about Mike Esper in that way? So Mike Esper previously was the Secretary of Defense. Um, Trump really didn't like him that much or stopped fucking with him after a while. Some of it had to do with, the, as you may recall, there was the whole photo op that was taken, uh, you know, <laughs> outside of uh, the White House, you know, where there was tear gas and everything. had to clear past this dude could hold a Bible. One of the things that he wanted uh, when those demonstrations were taking place next to the White House was to have U.S. military troops intervene. Um, Mike Esper was like, nah, we're not going to do that. Um, so that always was something that really Trump didn't really fuck with. Um, he had pretty much signaled that he was going to fire Esper uh, once he got to a second term. I guess now his thought process is uh, I've lost the election or at least in some in some corners of his mind. I believe he has to understand that. And so now it's like, let's get rid of Esper. And the thought process is let's not just get rid of Esper. Let's get rid of Esper so I can get someone else in here, right? It's not as though you get rid of him and there's just going to be an opening in the Pentagon. No, let's get somebody else in here. So Esper actually is quoted. So Esper is suggested that, the, you know, that he may preemptively try to fire, you know, excuse me, to resign himself. You know, he warned that he, if he was fired, it was because he declined to bend the knee to Trump. Think about that for a second. This is the Secretary of Defense. And he did this interview right before, I guess he assumed he was going to be fired with military times. And he indicates that, hey, I wasn't going to bend the knee to Trump. Here's a quote. I could have a fight over anything. And I could make it a big fight. And I could live with that, Esper said on, on Wednesday. But why? He's going to come behind me. Who's going to come behind me? It's going to be it's going to be a real yes man, and then God help us all. So his argument is, hey, I've been you know, you know, kind of you know waging the good fight here, trying to dis you know kind of, I guess from his perspective, you know, hold things down, not let Trump get too crazy, and then you see how that went. And one of the things that you think about, because this is not the first guy's you know 
uh, Mattis. There's other people in the Trump administration who have left Tillerson. You know, they've all kind of said the same kind of thing. Hey, I was really just here, you know, trying to do the best I can to kind of hold this thing together. And if you take them, you know, for their word, you got to ask yourself, like, what were they holding together? Like, what were they preventing Trump from doing? And now that, again, on some level in his mind, he's got to acknowledge or has acknowledged that he's lost the election. So now this is an unfettered Trump. And to even to quote Esper, God help us all. So the real question is, I think as we follow this story out and keep track of this, is who's going to come in behind Esper? Who's he going to put there? And why is this so important? Because you could legitimately see, again, if you're Donald Trump at this point, and you know you're facing civil litigation, you know you're facing potential criminal criminal liability, all bets are off. Like, what do you have to lose? If <laughs> you use the famous words of Donald Trump, what the hell do you have to lose? So why would you not try to deploy the military to help you stay in power? So the thing that's interesting about the United States of America is that we've always been a country for, I would say the last, you know, for a certain period of time. Let's not start and say from the beginning of time, because the U.S. has got some crazy nutso things that took place since the beginning of its inception. You talk about the Alien and Sedition Act. There's a lot of crazy shit that has taken place. But I would argue for the last 50 or 60 years, you know, there's been some baseline understandings of how shit should go, right? President loses, president concedes, it is what it is. We have a exchange of power and there really is no bullshit or drama behind it. But if one thing that we've learned about Trump is that that doesn't mean anything to him. I think, you know, he's told you on more than one occasion, I think it started really in my mind with the Muslim ban that he could do whatever he wants. He claims you know, uh, ultimate and supreme power, I believe is his kind of thought process. So, you know, in his mind, you know, he's a king. So why can't the king's army do the king's bidding? So keep an eye out on Mike Esper's replacement. Keep an eye out on, again, all of this, you know, court rambling is bullshit. I mean, there's no legitimate issue here. If there was, it would have been raised. Like one, if you listen to a Trump Trumper or you know Trump himself or any of his allies out there, no one can articulate an actual claim. It's just more all the election was stolen, but there's no real ex explanation around it. Like you know, think about it. If you have a friend who's you know a sports fan, and they may say you know, hey, I'm a you know I'm a I'm a Celtics fan, and we were robbed in the playoffs. And you ask them why, and they typically can say, well, this play was called against this or that. There's something that they can, you know, explicitly point to. This guy stepped out of bounds. They wasn't called. There's something. But in this case, there's nothing. There's just a guy saying things. So we'll see how long that goes. But, you know, the thing that I really want to talk about here, which I found to be interesting of the many things that have, you know, see now, now that it is kind of come out that he basically he's lost, right. Or he has lost. You start to see the story start to come out. 
because people are looking for jobs. And it's like, you know, previously I didn't say shit because, you know, I thought I would continue to have a job. But now everybody starts ratting people out. So I want to talk a little bit about Kimberly Goyfoyle. Kimberly is Don Trump or Donald Trump Jr.'s girlfriend. So let's, I just want to make sure I put this in the appropriate context for the audience. Kimberly is 51. Don Trump Jr. is actually 42. I was surprised by that. I didn't realize he was that young. You know, he seems stupider and older. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's he's 42 years old. Okay. So he's dating a 51-year-old woman. And I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. I just want to kind of tee this up for you so you understand the context of the story. So, allegedly, Kimberly uh, Guilfoyle cracked jokes about her sex life with Don Jr. and made sexually suggestive offers at President Trump's re-election campaign events. So, let me just tee this up again so you understand. Don Jr. and his girlfriend are out here trying to raise money for Trump's re-election. And during these events, a 51-year-old Guilfoyle cracked jokes about fucking the president's son, but moreover than that, made sexually suggestive offers at the campaign event. This isn't even afterwards at the bar or something like this. This is during the campaign event. This woman is up here... Let, let, you know what, let's go into the story a little bit deeper. A political reported that Guilfoyle, who worked as an advisor in Donald Trump's re-election campaign, engaged in sexually suggestive conversations with Don Jr. that made the donors uncomfortable. She also offered to give a lap dance to whoever gave the biggest donation at the Trump Hotel fundraiser in December. <laughs> I, I really, I, I have um, empathy for Don Jr. I have empathy for him because of all accounts, his dad really didn't fuck with him. Um, his dad pretty much found him to be a fucking loser because he was stupid. Now, Donald Trump's stupid, but so you have to imagine how stupid Don Jr. is for Donald Trump to realize he's stupid. The only kid he halfway fucks with, and I think that has more to do with some type of weird sexual fetish that he has, is his daughter. You know, the two two boys, he doesn't really fuck with that much. And quite frankly, why would you? Neither one of these motherfuckers are very bright. But, again, Don Jr. kind of inherited, pun intended, all of this, Right? You know, he didn't decide to run for office. All the things that he's doing, you can clearly see, are like these weird juvenile cries for approval from his dad. That's all this is for him. But there's something also going on in his mind, at the very least, when in a public setting, in front of a whole bunch of rich motherfuckers, people who actually have money, unlike Don Trump, Don Jr. His girlfriend would offer up lap dances. 
Think about that for a second. Think about how humiliating that must have been for Don Jr. Second of all, just, I mean, ask yourself, have you ever been in a scenario where you had one of your boys and he brought out his girl and she was out and she was acting out of pocket and it made you embarrassed? It made you embarrassed for that motherfucker so much so that you may have taken him aside either during the outing or days later to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I think if anybody's truly friends or has any, you know, feeling whatsoever for Don Jr., somebody's got to take him aside and be like, hey, man, you know, your, your girlfriend's a hoe. <laughs> like, I don't even know. But, you know, maybe he likes that. Who knows? Um, at another event in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, earlier this year, Guilfoyle offered a hot tub party to whoever raised the most money. So I, I, I don't know who these white motherfuckers are that are at these events. I'm assuming they're white motherfuckers. Maybe, you know, maybe maybe they're not, but that's my assumption. Maybe there's, you know, a, a Cuban mixed in there somewhere. You know, maybe Herschel Walker's here. But I don't know, but it's got to be amazing. Because it, let me explain something to you about rich motherfuckers. And I can just tell you this based upon, you know, my, my interaction with them, whether it be professionally or even going back, you know, for, to, from, from school. A real rich dude, he likes to keep his shit like very, very on the low. Like I remember I went to I went to a uh, boarding school for high school. And one of the things that was interesting to me because you know if you before you know I, I grew up in a you know predominantly black area and you know what I saw on television about wealth is kind of that kind of that you know gaudy wealth of you know white people just walking around just throwing money going to you know Beverly Hills throwing money in big cars and those things are true like it's the only act like those things don't happen but the real money the real money doesn't wear a whole bunch of bullshit you know why because they got money if you're really rich you don't have to wear a whole bunch of ridiculous shit cuz you know you got it Think about it. Have you ever seen Bill Gates walking around with a big gold chain on? Or have you ever seen, you know, Paul Allen, you know, driving around in a tricked out car? Because a lot of times people think, oh, this is just synonymous black folk. No, no, no. There's a lot of, you know, pseudo rich white folk who act as, who act gaudy, i.e. Donald Trump. But a real rich white motherfucker, he don't do that shit. So you can imagine the faces of these white dudes. When there's a 51-year-old babe standing in the middle, again, this is, like I said, if it was in a bar or something like that, or, you know, hey, it was sudden, you know, three or four people, and you want to make this time of comments, that is what it is. But you're talking about some serious white money. And you up in here talking about giving out lap dances and somebody can jump in a hot tub with me. What the fuck kind of trashy, dirty, like, <laughs> like, what, what the it's just so, it's so low key. It's so low, cal low class. It's just beyond low, cal low class. It's embarrassing. So again, the wonder duo here of Don Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle were in charge of Trump's fundraising team. 
which many senior campaign and Republican officials blasted as a human resources disaster. <laughs> campaign insiders, like, they, they, just let me, before I even go any further into the story, think about this for a second. These motherfuckers were in charge of raising money. Okay? Raising money for the re-election campaign. And a campaign, as you may recall, basically was flat broke at the end of the campaign. Or what, you know, know the better word to talk about it? They did not have any more money to spend. So the question really is, how did they spend all of the money? So their finance team, this is a team, again, by lead boy Gilfoyle and Don Jr., failed to collect enough cash and lag, lag behind President-elect President, excuse me, President -elect Joe Biden's fundraising numbers. Gilfoyle allegedly berated her employees. So this is just a trashy, trashy, trashy bitch. Allegedly, at one of the events, she talked about wearing a uh, Dallas Cal Cowboy cheerleader outfit for Don Jr. This is, again, this is in public. And one of the things that it, it brings to mind to me, especially if you're, you know, if you're out and about or if you, you know, hear stories, a lot of times people use terms like, oh, this is a hoe, she's a hoe, this is a third. And it's directed towards younger women. But I always think in my mind, like, you know, hoes don't magically disappear. <laughs> it's not as though there's like a hoe expiration card date. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, well, I'm, I'm 45. It's looked like my hoeing days are over. No. A hoe is always going to be a hoe. And my point being, first of all, and I think hoe is a gender neutral term, so let's start there. But the second part of this really is, goddamn, Don Jr. <laughs> like, like, how many times did she need to tell you that she was a hoe before you realized it? Everybody else knew she was a hoe, and you was that you was the last person holding out hope. So I want to just and, and again, if you think this is oh well, why do you think she's all just because she talks a little trashy at a fundraiser event? Let me give you some more details about Kimberly Guilfoyle. Guilfoyle's been a center uh, a center of numerous scandals since joining Trump's re-election effort last year. In August, she and Trump Jr. faced criticism for taking a two-day trip to Paris in 2018 that cost taxpayers at least $64,000. <laughs> I don't know what a re-election campaign needs to be in Paris for, for a two-day jaunt to Paris. Think about that. First of all, two days and you spent sixty-four grand. I don't even know what kind of... You know what? Well done. Well done for you because you have found ways to spend money that I mentally could not even consider. But this is the best part of the story. In October 2018, she was accused of sexual harassment by her former personal assistant at Fox News. So just remember, understand, before she started fucking Don Jr., she was a Fox News personality. So this is where you may remember her. In November 2018, a young woman who had been one of Guilfoyle's assistants at Fox News sent company executives a confidential 42-page draft complaint that accused Guilfoyle of repeated sexual harassment and demanded monetary relief. The document resulted in a multi-million dollar out-of-court settlement. So, 
Let's think about this for a second. There was Ed Henry that got kicked out of Fox for fucking around. There was, uh, you know, just there, there's just a, a litany. Bill O'Reilly kicked out of Trump, excuse me, kicked out of Fox for fucking around. And now there's Kim, Kimberly Guilfoyle that whatever she did was so bad, they just paid the check. And this is, again, this is a female, so they have to think that she was hitting. It'd be different if you say, oh, she's sexually harassing a dude. You know, that might make some sense. But this is, she sexually, she was sexually harassing a female. So much so that they had to pay a multi-million dollar settlement to this baby. This is Kimberly Guilfoyle. The assistant alleged that Guilfoyle, her, her, her direct supervisor, subjugated her to frequent, degrading, abusive, and sexually inappropriate behavior. Among other things, she said that she was frequently required to work at Guilfoyle's hotel room while the Fox host displayed herself half-naked and was shown photographs of genitalia of men whom Guilfoyle had had sexual relations. Now, so now we start to get into the realm of what the fuck. One, not understanding why you want to be naked around another babe for. Two, not sure why you're keeping, again, you're a 50-something-year-old woman, why you've got dick pics on your phone, unless they are to blackmail other dudes. That's the, That could be the only reason. And if you were planning to blackmail dudes, I'm not sure why you would show them to other people. Right? So she's showing, hey, here's another person. You know, you know whose dick she's probably got on her phone? Anthony Scaramucci. Remember the mooch? This guy lasted 11 days, you know, uh, as, as uh, Trump's chief of staff before he got pushed out. Yeah, the mooch was fucking her. So she's been passed around. So after the mooch stopped fucking her, stopped fucking her, you know, Kimberly moved her way up or fucked her way over to Don Jr. So I guess Don Jr. doesn't care about the mooch or maybe doesn't care about, or maybe he likes the fact that Kimberly can show him dick pics of the mooch. Who knows? But that's what's going on on her phone. The draft complaint also alleged that Guilfoyle spoke incessantly and luridly about her sex life and on one occasion demanded a massage of her bare thighs. Ugh. On other times, she said, the assistant said, Guilfoyle told her to submit to a Fox employee's demand for sexual favors, encouraged her to sleep with wealthy and powerful men, asked her to critique her naked body, demanded that she stay her room on business trips, required her to sleep over at her apartment, and exposed herself on several occasions, making her feel different, deeply uncomfortable. So it sounds like the assistant was a hoe in training, right? So she doesn't say whether she did any of this shit, but basically Gilfoy is like breaking her, giving her like the whole playbook one-on-one. And this babe, for whatever reason, Decided not to take up on it. But again, stay tuned because more stories will come out. Because when the shinking, when the ship is sinking, the rats jump out and they start snitching. So this is just the Kimberly Guilfoyle story part one. I want to talk a little bit, and this is kind of, you know, leads me to the next story. I'm going to close on this story. And it's Phil Collins. Um, Phil Collins is, uh, 
there's some of you guys, you know, younger audience members may not remember Phil Collins. Some of the older audience members may have forgotten Phil Collins, but Phil Collins was really big during the eighties. Um, he's Phil Collins is now 69 years old, but he is most known. He has seven us number one singles in his solo career. He previously did, you know, he worked with the band Genesis. So he's got a couple of hits with them. Um, he had more top us 40 singles than any other artist during the eighties. This dude was fucking huge during the eighties. The two songs that I remember from Phil Collins are against all odds, which is kind of like the anthem for any dude going through a divorce. If you don't remember the song, I believe the refrain is take a look at me now. And this is against all odds. I knew a dude who married to a woman um, kind of similar to John Jr. Everybody knew this babe was out of pocket. was a hoe. He was the last motherfucker to believe this shit. Said it was so bad, so he's living with her. I don't think I need to get into the whole financial situation. But anyways, he's married to this woman. Um, he's not married to the woman. He was financially supporting and kind of, you know, he was a stepfather to her two children. So this is a true story. So I guess one day he comes home from work early and, you know, there was a moving, there was a moving van and most of the shit had already been moved. And I don't know where the woman was. She was not around, but the movers were moving the shit. And one of the sons was there and he comes on. What the fuck is going on? And he goes, and the son, you know, has to break it to him. He's like, look, man, you know, you're a nice guy. You ain't been nice to me. But let me tell you something, dude. My mom ain't shit. <laughs> and they basically packed up the rest of the shit and they, and they left him. So literally, probably like weeks after this happened, um, I started working, um, you know, in a, in a, different area and we ran into each other and this is how we kind of became friends um so we are at a drive-through and this song against all odds comes on and you know i remember the song vaguely you know whatever song. and this brother turns this shit up he's and he starts crying <laughs> and the song is playing like loud he's singing along with the song tears in his eyes all the while, like the woman at the Popeyes is like looking at us, like "nigga, you gonna order the food?" I, it was just one of one of the most surreal things that I've ever felt or seen. But if you listen to the song, it's really all about a dude's anguish of going through a divorce. So the other song that I remember about Phil Collins is "Easy Lover." You may not remember Easy Lover, but if you if you got Spotify, listed it, you can just just play Easy Lover. It's to me one of the most amazing songs that you may ever hear. White music or pop music, whatever they want to fucking call it, is nothing but a bad or a poor emulation of black music. The guitar the banjo, all the instruments, any instrument that you're talking about that these rock groups, whatever you want to call themselves, or pop groups play, they are derivatives of Africa. That's where all this comes from. And they have just ripped it off and giving you this watered-down, shitty version of it. If you don't believe me, 
listen to Led Zeppelin and then listening, listen to Howling Wolf or any black blues musician. And at least Led Zeppelin admits that they stole all the shit. So Phil Collins, at a certain point in his career, like all oh, the same way with Rod Stewart, all these fucking, you know, he's washed up, you know, pop artists. They just start covering Motown. That's what they do. I don't know why it is. They just go to Motown. They just cover Motown songs. So I remember Phil Collins, really, when I was, you know, by the time I really kind of remember him, I remember him from covering Motown songs and kind of wishing he'd stop. So he does this song with Phil, uh, excuse me, Phil Collins does this song with Philip Bailey. Uh, you may not remember or recall the name Philip Bailey. Philip Bailey was one of the lead singers of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Philip Bailey can fucking sing. Okay? So you've got, <laughs> just listen to, like I said, listen to the song Easy Lover. Because it starts off, you know, you got the beat, I got the beat, and then Phil Collins starts singing this kind of just white voice, and then Philip Bailey comes in and snatches Phil Collins' soul, like he's singing, and it's the 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 best part about the record is just to hear the contrast in this lily white, milk toast white man and Philip Bailey. Singing the same songs, same lyrics. One motherfucker's killing it, and the other motherfucker just sounds like elevator music. But that was Easy Lover. So why the fuck, of all the things that are going on in the country, in the world, why, Leaf, would you be talking about Phil Collins? Well, here's why. Phil Collins was at his $40 million Miami home in July when he received a text from his girlfriend, Orion Chevy, who is also his ex-wife, telling him she had met someone else. So let's just break this down for a second. Phil Collins has been divorced a couple times, but Phil Collins, unlike black artists, still has the royalties to his music. So remember, think about, go back, remember how many top 40 hits that motherfucker had in the 80s? Phil Collins has got dough. So if you're Phil Collins, you're 69 years old, you're chilling at your $40 million mansion in Miami, July, beautiful outside. Next thing you know, you get this text message from your girlfriend and she's like, yo, homie, I'm getting dick from someone else. Here's what's interesting. Both Phil Collins and his girlfriend were in the house at the time that the girlfriend sent the text. But the girlfriend could not bring herself to tell fucking Phil Collins in person. So this bitch is in the kitchen. You know, maybe, you know, Phil Collins is, you know, out on the deck just chilling, listening to some, you know, earth, wind, and fire. He checks his phone. And he's like, this bitch! And I don't even know, like, first off, kudos to the girlfriend because you, and so you gotta remember the girlfriend was also his ex-wife. So she knows Phil Collins. 
And I feel like in every relationship, you get to a point where you kind of understand, hey, especially as a female, here's how I can, here's how far I can go before this motherfucker loses his mind and wants to put hands on me. Like you kind of have to know how far you can take shit. And I'm sure she knew how far she could take shit with Phil Collins because I couldn't imagine a lot of dudes who would be in their house, get a text message from their girlfriend telling them they fucking somebody else. And there's not going to be a follow-up conversation or something like an in-person follow-up conversation. Cause I would think we can't text about this. We need to, we need to actually see one another eye to eye to resolve this issue. So she's, this is the message that she sent. This is a text message that she sent to Phil Collins. I want to find happiness with someone else. You have met him. His name is Thomas. Kudos to you, Miss Chevy or Cheve. Because thy name is balls. Because to me, this would be shit I need to text you like after you've left the house. But she's telling this motherfucker in the house, not only am I fucking another dude, you've met said dude. Chevet was allegedly only prompted to tell Collins about this dude Thomas after her her two sons with the singer, Nick, 19 and Matthew 16 spotted her kissing with the new man at a 4th of July bash. So think about how dirty this bitch is. She's fucking this dude. And apparently she's like fucking this dude like out in public, like fucking with this dude, the boyfriend. She's so bold with the shit that she's fucking the dude in front of the kids, fucking around this dude in front of the kids. And again, these kids aren't like five and ten. These kids are smart enough to understand. Hmm. Phil Collins got a lot of dough. Daddy got a lot of dough. Mama is a hustler. Who should I side with? Yo, you got to tell dad something. You can't be out here fucking tonguing dudes down. Because they use the term canoodling. I don't know what the fuck canoodling means. I'm not, I, I just don't know. But to me, canoodling implies that there was some shit popping that probably should not have been popping. No one knows how Miss Chevet met Bates, but she apparently brought him to a couple of events. <laughs> this is before the breakup. There was a 4th of July barbecue. This is again where the boys saw them together. <laughs> There's just multiple things she was taking. She was just chilling with this dude in public. Collins was left shocked and feeling a bit of a fool. A bit of a fool, my friend? A bit of a fool, you felt. I want to understand what was the part that made him feel like a bit of a fool. But that, I digress. And even more so, when he found out that Chevet had secretly married the 31-year-old Bates. So this is just the coldest shit ever. So she's living in Phil Collins' mansion. Not only is she fucking this other dude, but she marries the other dude, was never planning on telling Phil Collins shit until the two kids stepped in and said, hey, this is just going too far. 
they did the intervention that somebody should have done for Don Jr. And they had to tell Phil Collins, like, yo, homie, you know, moms is out here fucking this dude, right? Yo, she's married. Chevet uh, apparently wed at Graceland Wedding Chapel in Las Vegas with the Elvis impersonator officiating it. This is this is real. I can't make this shit up. What came next include Chevet reportedly, I'm using, you know, finger quotes here, holding Collins Waterfront Miami Mansion hostage with armed guards on the premises. So the armed guards apparently comes out. So she tells this dude, yo, Phil, I'm getting some dick somewhere else. It's time for us to break up. But then she basically, I guess she must have waited because Phil Collins had at some point left the house. And then she was like, yo, I need to get these armed guards up here. And you know, look, Phil Collins is many things. It's not like this is only Phil Collins' only house. So, I mean, if it's like, hey, do I need to kind of, you know, I don't, again, Phil Collins is not a tall man. So I don't know what kind of fighting he could have done. So, at best, Phil Collins could have brought his own security guard that had some type of weird Miami shootout. But instead, you know, Phil Collins exits the premises of his own house because this bitch is now gunned up. <laughs> she's She's got the mattresses out. She's got guns. Like, fuck it, I'm taking everything. In Miami court this week, Chevet is set to file counterclaim to Collins' recent mediation to evict her because Collins is like, look, if you're going to fuck other people, it is what it is. If you're going to marry a dude, you got to leave the house. <laughs> In her countersuit, she alleges that Collins is impossible to live with. I don't know if being impossible to live with means that you can evict that motherfucker out of his own home. And has become withdrawn. I mean, I don't know how much you want to fuck around with a chick who's actively fucking other dudes in front of your kids. <laughs> so she's seeking to get half the money. They <laughs> she's seeking to get half the home they bought in 2015. So you know what? She's she's kicking him out, but she's willing to liquidate the home if she gets half. She also details injuries. Well, these are just injuries that he has had. So she includes details the fact that he's falling on his head. You know, go to KFK, but that's nothing to do with her. <laughs> uh, Collins is said to be watching the drama play out with his ex with increased disbelief. He thought things were going pretty good. I, I just don't know when you thought things were going pretty good. I just don't, you know, was it before or after the armed guard showed up? You know, let's go back. In history, the pair started dating when Chevet, who is of Swiss and Thai background, and again, if you can Google those pictures of her, she seems like she's had a shitload of plastic surgery, um, when she was just 21 and hired to be Collins' translator during Collins' 1994 tour of Switzerland. So this dude decided to link up with a 20-year-old babe. They got married in uh, 1999. So she went five years. So she hung in there five years before they got married. She's the third wife. And again, she was able to have two kids by this motherfucker. So she had money. You know, when they came and they finally called it quits in 2008, she hung in there for a good period of time. Collins paid her roughly 
$46 million. This was in 2008. <laughs> I believe this is during the financial meltdown that Phil Collins came out here and scratched a check for 46 mil and was like, yo, we're good. Uh, they broke up. They got back together again. At the time, he said, it's great to be back with Miss Chavez. We had a wonderful life when we were together. Then we lost for the plot for a little bit and got separated. As he said, I don't know what that means. We lost the plot, but whatever. With some British shit. Who knows? <laughs> I never realized I wanted to be apart from him again, she said. I never realized I never want to be apart from him again. This is what she said at the time. I'm grateful that we have this second chance at love. Now Phil Collins can't get into his own goddamn home. The moral of the story, and the moral of the story, at least from my perspective, whether it's Phil Collins and Miss Chavez or Don Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle, is that, yo, the game, in terms of whatever you want to call this relationship game, pimp game, whatever you want to call the relationships that we've just discussed, you can either outgrow that game or that game can outgrow you. <laughs> it's preferable that you outgrow the game. Meaning you wake up and say, hey, you know what? You know, maybe fucking around with this broad, you know, who's offering to give out lap dances at public events probably isn't a good thing for me. I'll move on to some other shit. Or the game outgrows you. Meaning you're chilling at your crib and your girlfriend in the next room sends you a text message talking about she's getting some new dick. And the next thing you know, there's armed guards preventing you from getting access to your own fucking home. <laughs> hey, as always, I appreciate you tuning in. Um, please, this is the height of the pandemic. I know a lot of you have fatigue, but it's crucial. Please stay safe. Stay situated. Stay calm. And most importantly, Stay positive. Peace.